Turn with me into the book of Nehemiah. I want to just conclude what we talked about uh, in, in the last couple times. Uh, we started this on the 22nd of May and continued on the 29th, and we talked about the 2022 year last Sunday. I just want to finish this up because uh, we didn't finish what we were saying. And so just to help you connect dots, the Holy Ghost for the first two messages was putting a lot of emphasis in this sermon on Nehemiah. He was emphasizing about the, the call. He called to them and they came and they came close and they stayed close. And we're going to read it in a second, but I want you to, I want you to understand, see, you can preach, but you've got to understand what the Holy Ghost is saying. You can preach the same sermon 10,000 times and he'll tell you 10,000 different things. The same scriptures references because it's, in, it's inexhaustible. Do you understand? So what, what he was having me share, I thought we would hit today's the first time, but the first and the second time I couldn't, I was restrained to talk about what I was going to talk about, what I'm going to talk about today because he had a different emphasis. I love the Holy Ghost. We got to learn to listen to that emphasis. And the emphasis was he was emphasizing uh, the prophetic word that came forth. Remember, there was a prophetic word on the prayer meeting. I played it for you on that first service. And so, and that prophetic word was about building the wall and about there's, there's been an attack to try to, and that wall really is, is what God's doing in this church as a bigger picture, but it's also specifically about this thing called the glory center that's coming because he called it a cradling place and a housing place for his glory. And then, of course, uh, so he's but an emphasis prior to today in the previous two sermons on this. Le- learn to connect dots. Be spiritual. A spiritual person doesn't listen to a sermon. A spiritual person says, what is the Spirit of God saying through the sermon? And what he was saying is, stay in unity. Stay close. Hearts knitted, not just committed. There was that prophetic word. Because why does he ask you to stay close? Why did Nehemiah ask them to come close? Because we're in a work project together and we're building something for God. And our lives are living stones, building a wall, but we're also from another perspective, we're building the assignment that God has given this local church in this city. And it will come to pass. And so there was that prophetic word about that glory center and about, and about how this wall, part of the main thing he's doing in this season is he's gathering people to make us a strong local church because he's preparing us for an outpouring of his glory and that glory is reserved for another building. And so we got to talk about that because that's important to God. And there's been some attacks to try to abort. Like a baby is most vulnerable in its earliest stage so the devil tried. You know, this, this vision started coming during the fast and the fall in the latter part of 2020. And in 2021, you know, we already had a big distraction that year. But there's been a lot of things happening since early 21 to now, 18 months. There's been a lot of things, but, uh, but the devil can't stop it. He can't even slow it down and he can't abort it because I, for one, am holding, I'm holding on. I'm not letting it go. And I'm looking for people that will hold on with me and that will gather when I blow the trumpet, gather, yeah. praise God. And I'm asking people to recognize the sound of the voice and the sound of the trumpet. What has God been emphasizing? Stay in unity, stay close, because we have an assignment to build something for God in this city. Yeah. And if you don't come close, you'll be isolated on the wall and that's where the enemy can pick you off. Jesus said, the sheep that's far away, I leave the 99 and I go after that silly one that, that thought he was too smart and too wise and better than everybody else. He didn't think he needed a pastor. He didn't think he needed a shepherd. So I'm going to leave you to get back, get your, your furry butt back in that fold. You need each other. We need to work together as a team. Some of you are furry butts. Don't get me started. Praise God. He's been emphasizing and connecting dots and he put the emphasis on get together, gather together because there's an assignment. There's a wall. Your life is building a wall, but also your life is building the vision for this church, the assignment for this church. And a big part of it in God's eyes is the glory center actually more bigger than I thought it was. Then he also, then he transitioned a little bit in one of those messages to correction. I didn't expect that. I didn't plan that. When that anointing comes on me, I can't deny it. But he corrected three, there's other things he could correct, but he corrected three things in that sermon. One is that when we're going through politically charged, challenging times where everybody has your own opinion, you better flow with the direction that I give. Because if you don't, you'll be separated from that wall. You'll be separated from the project. Don't get opinionated. Opinionated people are offended people. Are you listening to me? The second thing he corrected was honoring the office. And the third thing he corrected was attendance. People still at home wasting time in their pajamas when they should be here. Now that's obviously because the Lord wants unity. Why does he correct? To bring people into the same mind. Why do you correct a child? So that they'll think like you. I said, Caleb, you don't put the, 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 the can of tuna 
in the garbage with two flakes of tuna in it because then every time I come in this kitchen, all I'm smelling is tuna. And I don't want to smell tuna. So I want you to do it the way I have it in my heart, which is wash that can out with water until it's spotless and then throw it in the trash or the recycling, whatever you got. You see, I'm training him to do it the way I want it done. Why? Because I'm the boss in that home. My wife says she's the boss. We all know she's the boss, but I keep saying I'm the boss in that home. God is the boss in the body of Christ. He is the head. He is over Jesus, and he's certainly over us. And when God is wanting things done a certain way, he sometimes has to correct children so that they'll think right. And sometimes that happens. Don't be afraid of that. It actually shows that he loves you. The Bible says he loves those whom he corrects. So, but I'm saying connect the dots. He's trying to say, come together in unity. I've got to correct you because you're not in unity on some things. But come together in unity because it's an assignment and there's a wall and there's a glory center and it's going to come to pass. And there's prophecies about it and there's been attacks against it, but it's going to come to pass. That's what, that's what he's been emphasizing. Well, this morning, uh, as I was, as I was uh, coming here in the car, the Lord said something to me, Jenny. Actually, I was in the green room. That green room seems to have a lot of anointing in it. My, my God, every time I'm there, he talks to me. But, but I heard him say, uh, do you remember I sent the man in the tracksuit to Dr. Dufresne? I heard it just like as clear as that. I said, yeah. He said, and do you not think I can send you funders from outside your church for the glory center? Yes. And then he said, because it's not your glory center, it's my glory center. My God, my God, my God, my God. I heard him say, just as loud as I'm saying it to you, it's not your glory center. You're acting like it's yours. Now, I've given you stewardship over it. I've given you governance over it. But it's not your glory center. It's my glory center. And I'm going to fund it. And if I can fund Dr. Dufresne on the Tackle Bell building, I can, I, can, I, can I can fund you. And Pastor Dan, he can fund you. I don't care what those religious freaks say over there in that, in that island. They're just, 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 just roll over them. Because the people are hungry. It's only the pastors that are religious and that are keeping that place in bondage. Isn't that ridiculous that the men of God are keeping a place in bondage because of wrong teaching and poverty mind mindsets? The people want to explode. The people want to grow. The people want to increase. But religious spirits keep people small and down. So go and just decapitate those religious spirits. Because if God says you can have a building, you can have a building. In the history of Cape Breton Island, there's never been a church of more than 30 people. Maybe back in the, in the hundreds of years ago, a couple hundred years ago when there was a revival, there might have been, but in the maritime revival. But recently in modern history, the church, the, no church has ever gone over 30 people in Cape Breton Island. Well, promise of life is on the way because we're not a small thinking place. We, want, we, we, need, we need not just hundreds, we need thousands in that church. We need that whole island to know there is a God, his name is Jesus, and the word and the spirit is exalted. And if you get into this, it's going to change your life because God's funding things. He said it to me, Jenny, <laughs> if I could send a man that didn't even like his style of ministry in a tracksuit to give him $400,000, can I not fund? Because I keep saying, well, Lord, I mean, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying, I'm laboring just on this special annual project. I I'm casting the vision. I'm trying to get out the way, but Lord, you better speak to the people. But Lord, I'm, I'm just focused on that. How the heck are we going to do this building? I mean, I I'm using all my faith just for this special annual project. How are we going to do this building? So sometimes those thoughts come to me and I just have to say, put them, those thoughts down. No, no, no. I don't know how, but I don't know how I'm just going to agree. I'm just going to agree. But I've been saying that for months. I don't know how. I don't know how, but I'm just going to agree. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm just going to agree. I, I don't really see it coming. Lord, I don't know if the congregation could do the whole thing, but I'm just going to agree. Then they tell me that the prices have gone up on buildings. So now instead of probably 10 million, we're probably going to need 18 million. So I said, well, Lord, oh, <laughs> oh God, oh God. I agree. I just agree. I just agree. It don't really matter what happens. It just don't really matter how much the buildings cost. I'm just going to agree. But I've been saying that for a long time, and he hasn't said a word to me. This morning was the first time he spoke to me in months about the glory center. And he said, it's so sweet, yet so firm. But not firm against me, firm like with faith. Yes. Then he said, don't you remember I sent a man in a tracksuit that didn't go to his church or even like him? Right. And I funded that building for him. Can I not fund my glory center? Yes. You call it yours, but it's mine. Right. I will fund my work. Amen. I'm telling you, God's going to fund it. He's going to fund it. 
Now that don't give you a, a pass so that you can just watch other people come because God's going to use us primarily, but I'm telling you something about it. God's going to fund it. In fact, I really beat myself up, Reverend Joe, because uh, I was looking at that Tesla stock two years ago. And I was thinking of investing some of the church money into that Tesla stock. And then I thought, well, with all the stuff with COVID and everything and all the supply chain issues, I don't know. I don't want to put a bad investment on the church money. And so I didn't do it. And then I saw that stock went up. I don't know how many times it was a hundred bucks when I was going to thinking of, and it's gone up to now, I don't know, over a thousand over tenfold increase. And that could have been a nice hefty chunk toward our glory center. And I was thinking, ah, ah, Lord, I missed it. I was stupid, 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 stupid. You know how you treat yourself, right? But then I heard the Holy Ghost say, I don't need no stock, son. Now, if I, uh, if I was leading you, which, which he wasn't, but he said, if I was leading you, you should obey me. But he said, don't beat yourself up because then it's almost like you're responsible. Like you're trying to do this for you. But this is my center and I'm going to fund the center and I've got people that you don't even know about I've got men in track suits that you don't even know about Let them come of all colors yellow track suits green track suits red track suits Let them come in shorts let them come in tuxedos let them come in every form and fashion They will surely come because that is why it's a place he called it a cradling and a housing place a cradle for his glory Why I talked about the summit in the last sermon because what I'm, what I'm learning, what I'm seeing more is that this outpouring is going to be more regionalized and localized. It's not just going to be on everybody. It's going to be on those that are hungry. Jesus himself said to Dad Hagen, many of my own people will reject the moving of my spirit and turn back in the end days and will not be ready to meet me at my coming. That doesn't mean they're not going in the rapture. That means they're not going to have rewards when they stand before him because they didn't like what God was doing in this season. But he said, but you, you follow me. Don't, don't follow others. Follow the Holy Ghost in me. And then he said, I'm gathering my own people. I'm gathering those that are going to be ready to meet me. I'm gathering those that are hungry. I'm gathering for the time is short. And the last day great revival is coming. And he said that years and years and years ago. That tells me that not everybody's going to want the Holy Ghost. Born again people aren't going to want the Holy Ghost. You can see that today. God's not going to pour revival into a church that doesn't want the Holy Ghost. God's not going to pour revival into a church that says homosexuality is permissible under certain circumstances and have two men there kissing each other during service. God's not going to pour glory out on that kind of church because that's wrong thinking and that's a wrong mindset and that's a wrong wineskin. That's an old wineskin. God's going to pour glory on a church that's pure and holy. Not everybody is going to be without spot and wrinkle when Jesus returns. Let me just blow your doctrine right out of the water. He's coming back. For a, for a pure church without spot and wrinkle. I was taught for years and thought for years that that meant that every believer had to be without spot and wrinkle. If that was the case, Jesus never come back. Because you're never going to get, you can't even get 400 people in this church to agree to all come on one service. How are you going to get a billion people to all live right? It's just not going to happen because there's a will. God won't overcome the will. God could make us if we were robots and reprogram us, but he doesn't do that. We're, we're, he gives us a free will. So it's not that every person's going to be without spot and wrinkle. No, there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of spots and a lot of wrinkles. I don't mean wrinkles. I mean, you know, the Bible says I've come for my bride. Ever seen a bride walk down? She's got a big tea stain here, you know, and a little rip there. And her hair's dirty. No, that, that would not please the husband, but he'd still marry her. Are you listening? The husband wouldn't be pleased if she came in disheveled, but he loves her. And despite what she wears and what she looks like and the fact that she didn't take time enough to prepare herself for his arrival, he loves her unconditionally and he's going to marry her. And he used it even in that Old Testament prophet who married the prostitute as a sign, as, as an example to say, no matter how bad you are, I love you. But that doesn't mean that we should be prostitutes. That doesn't mean we should live that way. That doesn't mean we should reject the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of Christians when Jesus returns for the rapture that are, that are going to, they're like a bride with a tea stain here and a rip there and greasy hair. And they are not going to be ready. That's what he meant. They're not ready. They're not going to have rewards because they've rejected what I'm doing in the end days. But I love them unconditionally because they're born again and washed by my blood. And I'm going to marry them no matter what they look like. But I'm looking for a group that are beautiful and pristine and have lost weight and have got that dress all perfect. And they say, Jesus, I'm ready for you. That's this church. We're the pretty church. We're not the ugly church. We're the slim church, not the fat church. Everybody say it. Let me hear praise and glory in the house of God today. 
We're a healthy church. We're a beautiful church. We're a slim church. We're a right-thinking church. We're a generous church. We don't talk about each other. We love all races. We are clean and without spot and without wrinkle. That when Jesus blows a trumpet, I don't know, he will pour glory in this church before he blows that trumpet. He won't pour glory in every church in Toronto, but he, I guarantee you he'll pour it in here. Now, there's some in this church, this city that are hungry, and he'll pour it in them too. But there's a lot that just want money and numbers and let everybody do what they want. That's not how you pastor, and that's not how God works. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I know some people say, you're just going to have a bunch of women. You're going to have a bunch of women because only women like this message. Men, real men, they want to, they want to be men. They want to do what they want. They want to look at who they want. Woo! Do the wolf whistle or the fox whistle or whatever it's called. No. No, because I know a whole bunch of men that don't want that. I know a whole bunch of men that want to be clean, that want to honor their wives, that want to be holy, and that want to lead as men lead, lead this generation into the glory of God. And I'm telling you, it's going to be outpoured in that glory center. He's going to send people if he has to, but it's going to be outpoured. So I'm just helping you connect dots. God is saying this in these previous two messages because he's emphasizing the call. There's a call. Stay with me in the call. Stay with me. Stay faithful. We're going to see this come to pass. But now I want to move on, if that's okay with you, into a few of the other points, and I want to end it today because we have something else next week I want to get started on. But I want you to look at with me, please, in the book of Nehemiah. Would you turn there, please, to the book of Nehemiah? And I want us to talk a little bit about this. It's, it's Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. That's where it is in the Old Testament for those that don't know. Taylor, that's the Old Testament, brother, not the New. Okay. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Sanballat, he, he showed me six things. He said to me, there's six things. You're going to find it in these two chapters. There's six things that are working against the church today. Nehemiah represents the pastor. The people working with him represent the church. Sanballat and Tobiah represent the enemy, which can be used with physical people as well as demons in the spiritual realm, as well as demons working through people in the natural realm. But there, 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 there are, there's us trying to obey God, and then there's people that are trying to stop us from obeying God. And there's enemies trying to stop us. And there's governments trying to stop us. Now, I'm serious. I want you to really listen to me because he said to me, there's six things that you're, that you're going to face. Now, there's not the limit. There's not only six things out there. But he gave me from these two chapters six things that we're going to face. And he said, I want you to tell the congregation that when they face this, don't be surprised because I'm warning you ahead of time you're going to face it. But because you just because you face it doesn't mean it has to beat you. It didn't beat Nehemiah. And he was an Old Testament saint that didn't even have the Holy Ghost in him. You've got a much better deal than he does. You've got me in you. You've got my name and blood and authority. If he can overcome these six things, you are well able to overcome these six things. And so the first thing I want you to notice is uh, that, that we see here listed is uh, discouragement. And boy, how the devil loves to try to discourage. And it says here now, are you listening? When it came to pass, when Sanballat heard that we'd built the wall, he was angry and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spoke thereof his, uh, before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what, will these, what are these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they finish this whole wall in a single day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish? Because remember, everything was burned. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, Every, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Do you understand? A fox is a very light-footed creature. A fox can almost stand on anything and not break it. They're not heavy-footed. They're light-footed. That's why they're saying, yours is so fragile. What you're doing is so pathetic. It is so easy, like a house of cards. It is so easy to fail that even if a fox were to touch you, you'd fall. You see the words? These are words. They're not actions. They're words. But they're words full of discouragement. To try to say, you're going to fail. You're a loser. They mock the Jews. You're feeble. You're weak. You're pathetic. And whatever you try to do is going to fail. And even the slightest opposition is going to stop you. Don't be surprised when those kind of voices come. Whether to you or your mind or whether through another person. Understand that you're part of Nehemiah's team. And when those come, actually rejoice because it means that you're doing something right. Why would the devil want to discourage you if you were doing everything he wanted you to do? 
No, but about Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have persecution. In other words, when you're following me, not everybody's going to like it, and, and there's going to be pressure against you, but you stand your ground. So I want you to notice there was discouragement. Are you with me? Now it says in verse 4, Hear, O God, our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before them. I mean, he's, he's mad. And Nehemiah is really pulling out the punches now in the prayer. He's saying, don't even forgive them. Now, that's not where we're going to pray. We're in the New Testament. We're not in a dispensation of judgment. We're in dispensation. So we say, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. But Nehemiah could get away with this prayer because he's in a different time altogether. He said, don't even forgive those rats. That's what he said. Don't blot their name out for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Now, now I want you to notice here. We ask God to forgive, but notice it says that the people who attacked them had provoked God. When people stand against you, they provoke God. You gotta understand you're his rep on this earth. When they stand against us, Jenny, they provoke him. They don't just provoke us, they provoke him. Because he is for us 100%. So built we the wall and and all the wall was joined together and to the half thereof the people had a mind to work. See, the people had to have a mind to work. You have to choose to work. You have to choose to sow. You have to purpose in your heart to do what you're gonna do. Because the people had to make a decision. Did you see that? Now, and it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard the, the walls of Jerusalem were made up and the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very angry and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. See, the devil's asked, looking to hinder. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come up in the midst of them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times from all places, whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. In other words, there's people across the wall working. They're afraid. There is a, the second thing is there is a, there's a fear. The devil works with fear. He loves fear. There's a fear that has come through the, through the mode of a threat, a threat to kill. But I want you to notice this threat was subtle. This was, we're going to come up in the midst of you when you don't know it. Another translation says they were going to come up at night. When you're not expecting it, when you're not prepared for it, we're going to kill you. We're going to come up. We're not here to play patty cake. We're here to kill you. We're going to stop you one way or the other because we hate what you're doing. And we're going to see that the fear starts to come. The threat starts to come. But this is, you never know where it's coming from. You feel like you're always having to turn like this because you don't know where it's coming from. I'm telling you, there is a discouragement the enemy will try, and there is the threat of fear, but on a subtle level, where, where he's trying to make you anxious and, and, and looking over your shoulder because you don't know where that attack's coming from, and that is a threat of the enemy. You have to just put your trowel in your hand and your sword in your hand and not keep looking like a jumpy cat and just do the job. Just work. Just be aware that he's looking for an opportunity, but stand on guard, but work. The sword is representing the realm of the spirit and prayer and the trial is representing the natural supply and the work and we do a spiritual supply and a natural supply and everything God ever does on the earth requires a natural supply and a spiritual supply. You've got to have both. He doesn't use lazy people. He works with people. But there is a supernatural aid on our lives that the sinner does not have. So we need to focus on this and understand there's going to be discouragement. Ignore it. There's going to be threats and fear. To try to make you jumpy. Yeah. Yeah. Ignore it. Yeah. Now what do you do? We're going to look at, look at a very powerful, three very powerful points. Because he basically says, you need to fight. Then he says, stay close to me. And then he says, God is going to fight for us. But he didn't say God would fight first. He said, you fight. In other words, in the modern vernacular, in New Testament doctrine, what is he saying? You have to fight the good fight of faith. Paul called it the good fight of faith. It's a good fight when the person you're rooting for wins. It's a bad fight when they lose. I'm in a good fight of faith. I'm going to win. There's no chance that I can lose. But there is a fight. There is a push. There is a, restri- there is a pushback on me. I have to push back on the enemy. Now listen, he's saying you have to fight. In other words, release your faith in God. What is your, you've got two conditions. Release your faith and stay in unity. Stay where he's planted you. Stay close 
to your Nehemiah. I'm serious. You got to listen to me. I'm not saying this manipulatively. If you don't stay close with the vision, he'll pin you, he'll pull you off. If you don't stay close by coming regularly, if you don't stay close by serving, you've got a job to do, stay close. He's trying to get people to get picked off. Stay, release faith and stay close. That's all you have to do. Release faith and stay close. What's God going to do? Then he says, God will fight for you. In other words, the power of God will come into manifesting power in your life. And what you're believing for is going to come to pass. For your personal life, for your health, your children, your job. You want to buy that new car. You want to have that thing. God will manifest it. But also for his house, like Sariah. I'm believing God for that money. And God's power comes into man. She's staying close to the vision. And God's power comes into manifestation and gives her the seed and then she sows it and then gives her a harvest on top of it. Everything that we face, you've got to remember, you've got to release your faith and you've got to stay in unity and stay close. If you'll do those two things, God will show up and he will honor you and he will bless you and he will help you and he will protect you. If you don't release your faith, but you just stay close, you're unbalanced. If you release your faith, but you're just whatever, you're like a wandering butterfly. God can't get the wall done because Nehemiah needed people working on that wall. He didn't need people working on some other thing. He needed people right now, right here, let's do this together. So they had to believe God and they had to stay close. And when they did those two things, his power showed up. God fought for them. So there's going to be, are you listening to me? There's going to be discouragement and there's going to be fear that tries to come. I, don't, I mean corporately as well as privately. You better, you better deal with it. Yeah. Nehemiah, without the Holy Ghost, um, in the same way that you have the Holy Ghost, could deal with it. Yes. How did he deal with it? Have faith. Have faith. Stay close. Have faith. Stay close. Have faith. Stay close. Amen. And God shows up. That's right. Can you just It's so simple. Why do you think I go? You know, I wasn't the only one. I'm not saying this whatever. But people in the States, you know, they, they, they don't have the restrictions we do. And this whole COVID time, and the pastors, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I'm not going to judge. I just don't get it. But the pastors in the same country can't even show up to camp meeting. And here I am willing to swim the brook here in Niagara on the lake, if I have to. And here I am going through COVID tests, going through, back then we had to quarantine for 14 days when we got back. That didn't deter me. Do you understand? I'm trying to help you understand something. When I set my mind to it, it doesn't matter the inconvenience and it doesn't matter the cost and it doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. When God told me to stay close to Pastor Nancy, yeah. That's right. yeah. <laughs> if she was in the city, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be playing hooky for my church to go to her church even though I'm the pastor here, but she's not in my city. <laughs> but as often as I can get to where she is because I have to stay close. That's why I go. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of expense. It's a lot of being away from my children and hearing them sometimes on the phone. Daddy, please, I miss you. I want you to pray with me. Read me a story. And I can't because I'm in the hotel room. There's a price. It sounds so fun to travel and it's not. If you've never traveled, you don't know. If you travel, you know what I'm talking. If you travel as much as I do, you know what I'm talking about. It's not fun to stand in the line at the, at the airport. It's not fun to be the only airline on the planet that still has to wear masks. Air Canada, God bless them. It's not fun to wait an hour to get to the rental car in that traffic at LAX airport with that ridiculous bus and everybody crowding you with smelly pits. It's like I look for people and say, by the word of knowledge, Lord, do they smell or not? Because they just show, let me sit beside somebody that doesn't reek. It's not fun to get there and have to drive an hour and a half in the middle of the night and get there two in the morning. It's, I'm saying it's not as exciting as you think, oh, travel. It takes effort and it takes money and it takes a decision. But I'm going to do it because God told me through his word, stay close to your Nehemiah. And the only way I can stay close is not watching. I've got to be there. People don't seem to understand, Reverend Greg, especially, and our ministers get it, but a lot of ministers don't. It's important, Dan, it's not just about the sermon I preach. The more you are around my anointing, the more something goes into you to nurture your anointing. And if you don't have that topped up, when you go, it will affect how your church succeeds. People just think it's after the, I'm just trying to get somebody to listen to me preach. 
Ministers need to understand that there is an impartation that comes from the realm of the spirit from an office into their office because they have an office that has to be nourished by a higher office. And it's not just the sermon or faithfulness. It's about the impartation that is going in and it only happens when you're present. Because Paul said, I have to, I, not you, I have to see you in order to impart a gift to the end that you would be established. Romans chapter 1 verse 11. If the minister doesn't see that impartation doesn't happen. That's why I tell them, sit on the front row, be close. Because it's more than just being faithful. It's about what you're about to encounter in Inverness. And you're going to need certain impartations that you don't have on your own. That's why I sat with Dr. Dufresne as much as I could when I planted the church. Because I needed that impartation so I could overcome obstacles. Because there's a lot hindering us in this environment. And there is discouragement. And there is fear. But my job is to release my faith and stay close. That's why I go. Are you with me? I'm, I'm, being, I'm being leading by example to you here. That's why this church gives a tithe. That's why we give 15%, not 10, of every dollar that comes in. Because we are leading by example. We are sowing because we need a harvest. I am staying close to my Nehemiah because I need the impartations because there's a tax and danger ahead. And if I don't have those impartations from the word and the spirit on her life, because no, not just anybody. I can't just go sit under anybody. I have to sit under the person that God assigned to me. Timothy had Paul. He didn't have Apollos. He had Paul. There were other, there were other fathers, but he had Paul. There's lots of people, but God didn't ask me to sit under the Copeland or this or that. He asked me to sit under Pastor Nancy. And then secondarily with, with Brother Greer and then Brother Jerry. But, but she's my main feeder. So I've got to stay close. If I release my faith and stay close, everything I need for my life personally and for this church will come to pass because God's power will fight for me. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So read with me, please, in verse... Uh, and it came to pass when the Jews... Verse 12... And it came to pass when, that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, I read that, verse 13, Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and in the higher places I even set the people after their families with swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid. See, the enemy's trying to use fear. Of them, remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives. Your, you fight. You release your faith. Amen. And it came to pass, now they actually physically fought, but in the New Testament, we're releasing our faith. It's the fight of faith. And it came to pass when our enemies heard it, that it was known unto us, their, 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 their sly attack of coming at night to kill them. And that God had brought their counsel to nothing, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the habergans. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. Verse 17, they which build it on the wall, and they which bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand he held a weapon. You see the spiritual supply and the natural supply. For the builders, every one had a sword girded by his side, and so he builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. I need people around me with a voice. I need people around me that can blow a trumpet. I need people around me that are in agreement with me. My staff represent these ones here. My leaders represent these ones here. The ones around me know how to, know how to shout. Praise God. Know how to give the call. Yes. You don't want people around you that are questioning you. Amen. This guy with the trumpet blower, he didn't question him. Yeah. When Nehemiah said blow, he didn't go, are you sure? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's hot. I'll, let's give them a break. I'll do it in 25 minutes. You see, th th there's got to be uh, that kind of flow around you. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and I'm saying that to you, promise of life, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place therefore you hear the sound of the trumpet, resort he thither unto us, and our God shall fight for us. Stay close. Come into unity. And God, because you release your faith, God will fight for me. Why will God do it? Because I'm releasing my faith Amen. and because I'm staying close. Yes. If you release your faith and stay close, God will fight for you. Amen. Praise God. 
So we labored in the work, and the half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning until the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night there may be a guard to us and a labor on the day. In other words, they were sleeping out in tents, and, and, and Nehemiah recognized they're going to they're gonna try to sneak up and kill us. So let's, are you listening to me? Let's all gather Let's all be together. Where we sleep at night, we be together and we'll put guards. Because while God, listen to me, while God is fighting for us, use common sense. Common sense says stay together. Put guards. But God is still protecting us. But we don't do foolish things either. So stay close. Come within the walls. Don't get out there on the internet looking at this, looking at why this person doesn't like this doctrine, why this person doesn't like Pastor Nancy. That's the stupidest thing you could ever do. You're sowing tares amongst the wheat in your heart. Stay close. Use common sense and stay close. God is fighting for us, but we also got to use our brains. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes saving that everyone put them off for washing. In other words, we weren't having fun. We weren't going off to do things. I'm not trying to be vulgar or, or, or inappropriate. What they're literally saying, if you study in the Hebrew, is we didn't even have sex with our wives. The only time we took our clothes off was to wash so we don't stink because we are focused. There is a job to do. God is counting on us to finish a job. Now, obviously, we take that in, in the, through the eyes of the cross in the New Testament. What I'm saying is there was an attitude of we are not just committed. We are knitted to this thing. We are going to sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice to do this. That's what God's looking for. You still with me? It's 1155, almost done. Now, chapter 6, verse 1. There's two things now we've seen. Discouragement and what else? Fear, but based on a sly way. I'm going to come up when you least expect it. The threat of death. The threat of failure. Now look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not yet set up the doors upon the gates. That Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? You know what this is called? This is a huge one. I hope you're listening. This is a big one. It's called distraction. Let's, the enemy will, will make sure that you're very, he'll offer you distraction. Do that extra shift and make an extra 20000 a year, but you can't come to church anymore on Wednesday nights. Don't you know your kids need an, an, an outlet for their energy? Do that, that kickball thing over there on Sunday morning and don't. You know what I heard one person told me is that somebody that went to a church that I knew years ago and they just kind of came back into fellowship with somebody that I know. You know, they, they said, well, our, our son needed to play hockey. And hockey was Sunday mornings. They haven't been to a Sunday morning service in 15 years. So their son can play hockey. That, my brother and sister, is messed up priorities. And they're going to stand before Jesus and give an account for the lack of supply they brought to his body, not discerning his body, for hockey. I have no problem with hockey. Play hockey till you're blue in the face, but not at the expense of God's house. People's priorities are so... Dr. Frame warned about this all the time. Distraction. Come on. I'm doing, a, this is your attitude. I'm doing a great work. I'm part of a great church and God's doing a great thing. Why should I come down to you and leave, and leave my place empty and vacant for that work to suffer, for me to be distracted with your nonsense? Oh no, you say to the valley of oh no. Oh no. Oh no, you don't. Oh no, you don't. <sighs> and I sent messengers, okay, I said that, verse 4, and they sent unto me four times after the storm. See, distractions, yes. don't just quit the first time, buddy. Those distractions would knock on your door, knock on your back door, knock on your window, knock on your roof, try to tunnel up from underneath. 
Distraction, that's what Dr. Dan Hagen always said, busy, busy, busy. You're so busy, you don't have time for God's work. You're so busy. Guard your time, guard your time. You say, but my life won't be as full. Your life will be fuller if you put God first because then whatever else you do later, it will feel so much more exciting because you put him first and he'll help you enjoy the other things more. I'm serious. Okay, are you still with me now? Okay, then send ballots. That's number three, distraction. Then let's look at number four. Then send ballot his servant. Un, then sent send ballot his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written. Are you listening? This is called. Let me make sure I get my my notes right here. Yeah, this is the political terror. He will use politics to try to threaten us. He already has. <laughs> That lady that was going to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw her in the spirit. I saw what she looked like. She was wearing a pantsuit. Blue. With pinstripes. I saw her hair. I saw part of her face. When you showed me the picture, Chantel, I said, I think that's the one. Who is she? I didn't know that she was leader of the NDP party. I didn't know she was going up again this fed, in, this, in this provincial election. But I dealt with that in the spirit. I'm not the only one. I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I dealt with that in the spirit because God's not going to have people that are going to destroy his church in office if the church will stand up in the spirit, not with the picket sign, in the spirit because we have authority in that realm. You don't believe me. You don't understand things, how they work, but we have authority in that realm. God's not going to let, if, if, we, if those kind of people take office and ruin this country, it's our fault. It is our fault for not blocking that in the realm of the spirit because angels and demons are very real and they influence people. And the people themselves usually are just puppets. They're good people. They're kind people. They, there's nothing against the people. We're dealing with the spirits working through their mindset because their mindset is ungodly and antichrist and pro-abortion and pro-hatred of anything to do with the gospel. Hating the local church. Wanting to shut us down. Well, not, not, not while we're here. Now you say, that's very arrogant. That's because you're stupid. If you think I'm arrogant, you're dumb. Because you, don't, you can't tell the difference between a boldness and a position of dominion in the spirit and just mental, carnal, fleshly arrogance. I don't think I'm all that, but in the realm of the spirit, I do have a voice. And I put the four prophecies up for you so that you could read what the prophet said about my voice. And I didn't even ask for those or want those prophecies. I don't know why God's asking me to say things, but he is. So I'm going to keep saying them. And I don't have all power over all things, of course not, but I can affect certain outcomes. And as a church, we're going to make sure we stand on guard. That's our national anthem, isn't it? We stand on guard for thee. How many are actually standing on guard in the realm of the spirit? We've got to do that. He will use political terror. And he, he comes with this open letter, verse 6 of Nehemiah 6, wherein was written, it is reported amongst the heathen. And Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel. For which cause you build the wall, that you may be king according to them. That was heresy. The Assyrians ruled them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, thou oughtst, that thou hast appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. And now shall it be reported to the king. He's talking about the, the real king, the, the, the Assyrian king. It will be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. What, do you know what they're saying? We're going to, if you know anything about history, the Assyrians were the most brutal, cruel grace of human beings that have ever lived in the history of mankind. If you study it, the tactics of the Assyrian army outweighed the Nazis, outweighed the Russians, outweighed the Mexican cartel. If you study what they did to people, how they would torture people alive, what they would do, how they would take babies, and I want to, it shouldn't even be spoken. But if you study what those demons on legs would do, they were the most vicious people. Make, make, makes Attila the Hun look like a puppy dog. When you were ruled by the Assyrians, you obeyed or you died and you died badly. Do you understand? Now this guy, this is not an empty threat. Now he's saying, I'm going to go to the king and I'm going to tell the king that you're in, you're in insurrection. You're doing treason. You're proclaiming yourself king in his, in his domain. He's going to flay you alive and burn, your, burn you to death. That's what they would do. They'd flay you, take your skin off while you're alive, and then burn you. I mean, it's just horrific. And that's just one of the nice things they did. You don't want to know the bad things that they did. So when you hear somebody saying, I'm going to go to the Assyrian king and tell him that you're doing insurrection and treason, 
You understand that fear that that would put in that person's heart? See, it's called political terror. He's using politics. Are you with me? (laughs) What did he say? (laughs) Then I sent unto him saying, there is no such things done as you say, but you feign them out of your own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it may not be done. Now, therefore, O God, what did he say in the face of threat political, Jenny? Strengthen Strengthen. our hands. What did the apostle Peter pray? O God, behold their threatenings, political, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness, not back off, but push forward, boldness we would preach your word by doing signs and wonders by the name of your holy child Jesus. What did he say? Lord, they threaten us, make us stronger. Lord, they threaten us, make us bolder. Lord, they threaten us, strengthen us that we would be stronger than ever before. Man, God likes that kind of stuff. When they threaten us, we're going to be bolder. Not backing down. Praise God. Glory. And verse 10. Are you ready now? The next one. We've got discouragement. We've got fear by threat of of subtle death. We've got distraction. We've got political terror. Number five. Afterward, I... uh, after I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, the son of whatever who the sons are, who was closed up, shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yes, in the night they will come. And I said, should such a man as I flee? Oh my God. I mean, that's a line for the ages. Do you see what he's saying? This is an overt, see before in chapter four, they were talking, we are going to go up to slay them, but it was a whisper. Then God showed them the counsel and then they said, we know what you're going to do and we're going to put guards, but it was secret. Now it's not secret. This is also fear of threat of death, but this is bold faced out there in your face. They are going to kill you and they are coming. You see, before it was a whisper, they had to decipher that and then take evasive action. Now it's just out in your face. We're going to kill you. The devil can't get you afraid by threatening subtly. He'll come at you straight on and just say, I'm going to kill you. And both approaches, we have to say no. And I love this. This is like a line. This is like one of the coolest lines ever spoken. When somebody says, we're... Listen, the subtle tactic don't work on you, Nehemiah. So we're just going to tell you straight up, we're coming to kill you. You better go hide in the inner part of that temple and lock the door because we're coming and you can't run. You know what he says? Should such a man as I flee. You know who that means? It means he knows who he is. When they threaten you, if you know who you are in Christ, you can say, devil, you don't know who you're dealing with. I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean that from a position of dominion in Christ, not out of my soul, but out of my spirit. You don't know who you're dealing with. Should such a man as I, do you know who you're dealing with? Who art thou, O mountain, before? Who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? I have the spirit of God, for it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Oh, mountain, who do you think you are to stand before me? Do you know who I am? That's called divine, divine confidence. Yes. Who do you think you are? Son of Delilah, whatever his name is. Who do you think you are, Shemaiah? Should such a man as I flee because you say you're going to kill me? I love that. That's the epitome, Joe, of the spirit of faith. That's Caleb at 85 years old with his white hair flowing. He don't got no cane. He don't got no eyeglasses. They didn't have him anyway, but he don't have them even if they did have them. He's not wearing depends. You know, those old folks always have to wear diapers because they're peeing themselves all the time. He's just got his regular undies on. He's got his white beard flowing and he looks at the uphill, the uphill, the uphill at the Hebron, which is by giants nine feet tall. And he says, give me the mountain. Are you crazy old man? You don't know who I am. See, who do you think you are to stand before Caleb? See, guys, this is Old Testament. David with the giant. I'm going to kill you. 
He ups the ante. Read it. I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to kill your whole army. Read what he said. Goliath threatened one man. David threatened thousands. Read it. He said, I'm going to take you, take your head, feed your carcass. When I'm done with you, i got four stones in case your brothers want to fight. Because he had four brothers, the Bible says. And brothers would have blood feuds. for They would defend each other. And once I've dealt with those guys, I don't even need no stones. I'm just going to destroy all of you. Now that's called the spirit of faith. That's called, who do you think you are? Do you know that, I, that I'm a covenant man? God is with me. David understood covenant. Yeah. Caleb understood covenant. Nehemiah, should such a man as I be afraid of you? I love it, Taylor. If I ever get afraid, if I ever, because sometimes I have weak moments. Errol's my, he helps me. Because I sometimes have weak moments when I see things don't always go right financially, don't always go right. But Errol just keeps, Pastor, it's going to come to pass. And I just need, sometimes that's why I have trumpet, trumpet sounders around me. Just look at me. When, I'm, when my hands are a little bit weak, I have an errand at her to hold up my hands. To say, Pastor, should such a man as you flee? You just say that to me and it's like showing red to a bull. You say that verse to me and my blood starts boiling. That's right. I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot. Who, I know who I am. Should such a man as I be afraid of you, devil? That's the spirit of faith. We've got to have that. When cancer knocks on your door, you've got to have that response. When you hear somebody is vandalizing your neighborhood and burglary, you better have that response. When, when the ice is on the ground and you're afraid of accidents, you better have that response. When you don't want to fly to crash into a mountain, you better have that response. I'm serious. You better have that response when your company says we're going to have to lay off workers. You better have that response. God's with me. I'm not going to be afraid. Such as a man as I flee. And who is there that being as I am would go to the temple and save his life? I will not go in. <laughs> and lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Yeah, there you go. Discouragement. Fear by subtle attempts. Distraction. Political terror. Fear by bold attempts. Yeah. And one more called betrayal. And this one is where most people get knocked out. Are you with me? Therefore, he was hired that I should be afraid and do so in sin and that they might have matter of an evil report to reproach against me. My God, think thou upon sin, <laughs> Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these their works and on the prophetess, no, no, whatever it is, Nobiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. He said, God, you think about these people. That's a scary prayer to pray. God, you think about my enemies and do what seems good to you. Yeah. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elul, in the 50th and two, 52 days. Now watch now. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Even the sinners will recognize yeah. that God was involved. Moreover, in those days, listen now, watch now, the nobles of Judah, nobles, what are nobles? The rich ones. The rich ones had access to Nehemiah more than the commoners did. These are people that he would have been around him as his advisors and as his counselors. These are people that he would have trusted. And you need to understand the culture of the day. The nobles were people that were people of a position in Israel, and they would have been around Nehemiah as the leader, as his trusted counsel. Now watch. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters, his own friends, sent letters unto Tobiah, the enemy. And the letters of Tobiah came unto them. They were exchanging. They were pen pals, BFFs. His friends were BSFs with his enemies. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, many in his own camp that were in league with the enemy, because he was the son-in-law of Senarek, the son of Ra, whatever, and his Shechaniah. son. Okay. Watch now. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to put me in fear. His own friends are telling his enemies, this is what he's doing. This is some good things that he's doing, but this is how you get him. And then Tobiah would have ammunition and know exactly what buttons to push because his friends told the enemy his weaknesses. Yeah. 
And then the enemy sends letters knowing exactly what buttons to push because they've got spies in the camp. That is the ultimate betrayal. People that have sat in your war council with you, people that have held the trowel and the sword with you, and secretly they are conspiring with the enemy that wants to murder you and feeding him information so that he can threaten your life and make you afraid. That, my friends, is called betrayal. And yet none of these six things stop the man of God. None of them. None of them. The work is great. I'm not going to be distracted. I want you to remember that phrase. Don't be distracted. I don't care what you say. Threaten me, devil. Should such a man as I flee. I want you to remember that phrase. When there's discouragement, when there's fear, when there's distraction, when there's political fear, when there's fear of bold death, and when there's betrayal, I want you to remember, the work is great. I will not be distracted. I will not be afraid. Should such a man as I, I love it, Greg. When I meet Nehemiah, the first thing I'm going to say to him is, just don't say, hi, Craig, anything. You did a good job. Tell me the line. I want to see what he looks like. I want you to say it to me like you said it to those rats. Okay, act like I'm the rat. Say it to me. I want to hear him say, should such a man as I flee. I don't know how he said it, but that's how I envision it. What a line. When you're afraid, remember that line. When you're distracted, discouraged. A lot of this is based on discouragement and distraction or fear. Because betrayal is based on that too. Political terror is based on that too. Discouragement and distraction work together. And then there's fear. So one answer is, I'm, you don't know who I am. I don't have to be afraid. And the other answer is, the work is great. I'm not being distracted. I say, oh no, to the valley of oh no. That's how I remember it. Oh no, I'm not coming down. I'm not leaving where God planted me at promise of I'm not leaving what God's asked me to do in my prayer closet. I'm going to not, I'm going to fulfill, I have a part to play in this wall. Praise God. It's going to surely come to pass. Father God, I thank you this morning for the great lessons we see, and there's many more, but these are just some of the lessons we see from the great man, Nehemiah, who had a great job and an assignment to fulfill the plan of God in his generation. Father, in a new covenant age, we have a plan of God, to, an assignment of God to fulfill in our generation. And Lord, the people of this church are called to this wall like the people with him were called to him. And Lord, you're asking them to just release their faith and stay close. And you will come and fight for us, Father, and you will do miracles. And when all these attacks come against us, we need to answer. We need to answer those attacks. Jesus answered the devil out loud in the wilderness. We need to answer. He answered the fig tree. We need to answer these attacks. I will not be afraid should such a man as I flee. I will not be distracted and come down. I will not be discouraged. I will not be afraid of death. I will not be afraid of political terror. I will not let betrayal destroy me. I will not let these six things break me from my assignment. I'm going to fulfill it, and the Lord is with us. So, Father, I thank you. Let the seed of the word go into every heart today. When they face things in their private life that are threats, that are discouragements, that are distractions, that is, that is t- tyrannical, when they face things from their workplaces and people in authority, even pol- political figures, when they face betrayal amongst their close friends, When they face all these challenges, Father, let us remember that we have a great job and a great work. Your word says the work is great. Let us gather together and stay close and release our faith and not let these six things derail us. And Lord, you will fight for us. Your power will manifest for us. You will honor us privately and personally in our businesses and in our homes. You'll honor us corporately in this church. This new building called the Glory Center will be built. And Father, it's not about a building as much as it is about your glory because you're trying to create a strong local church in a building that can house many more people for you to pour out of your spirit upon this city and upon this church. And Father, you're going to pour your glory out one way or the other. You're going to do it because even this morning you told me 
I've got many ways to fund that building, son. You just trust me. You just trust me and keep preaching. You just trust me and keep preaching. I will surely, it's my glory center, not yours. And I'm, I'm jealous over it and I will make sure it comes to pass. So Father, I thank you that you're stirring the right ones and drawing the right ones. For Father, it's your glory center and it's gonna be for your glory and it's gonna, this city is gonna see your glory and it's gonna be for your glory and you're gonna glorify this church by your glory and you're gonna pour out of your spirit to prepare for the rapture of the church. And Lord, all over the world, in city after city, there are, you're raising up churches for your glory to be poured into. Lord, there's many in Toronto, we're just one, but I thank you that we're counted worthy to be one of the places you'll pour out of your glory. And I thank you it will all come to pass because we are workers on a wall together. We are doing an assignment together and we're not gonna be distracted. In Jesus' mighty name, we're not gonna be afraid. In Jesus' name, we're not gonna be discouraged. We're going to release our faith and stay close. And your power is going to meet us there. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name, I feel God is pleased with this message today. And he's pleased with the way you received it. So we give you praise, Father. And we give you glory. Everybody said amen.